Today I'm continuing to teach on the effects of praise. And I tell you, this teaching on praise is powerful. I've said this before during this series, but praise is kind of like how you take your spiritual pulse. If you aren't praising God, if you aren't a thankful, praising person, you are spiritually sick. I don't mean that as condemnation. I know that many people think, but you don't understand my circumstances, but you don't understand how much God has done for you. If worse comes to worse, and if the worst thing that could possibly happen happens to you and you die, you would go and spend an eternity with God. It's like you've got this safety net that if you understand things properly, I mean, you can't lose for winning. And if you don't have that attitude and if you are bogged down in your circumstances and talking about how bad your situation is and stuff, it's an indication that you aren't operating in faith. I've used these scriptures already, but Colossians 2, 7 says that you abound in faith with thanksgiving. And if you aren't being thankful and praising God, then you aren't abounding in faith. You may be struggling. You may have some knowledge, but you aren't really hitting on all cylinders. And I'm just telling you, praise is a powerful force. It affects you and it affects the devil. And we've already talked about those two things. I could go back and share all of that again. But what I want to do today during this last week is to start talking about how praise affects God. So this teaching on the effects of praise is primarily dealing with how praise affects you, how it affects the devil, and how it affects God. And you know, each one of these are very important. It kind of depends on where you are. If you are in a situation where you're depressed and discouraged and things like this, maybe the most important thing for you is to start praising God because of how it will affect you and change your focus and put it on the things of God. If you are under demonic attack and Satan is just coming against you, then maybe the most important thing for you would be to start using praise like it says in uh, Matthew and also in Psalms that this is strength to steal the enemy and the avenger and it just makes Satan flee. And so maybe that's the most important. But you know, from my standpoint, I believe that praising God for how it affects God and your relationship with God, I believe that this is really the, the most important of all of these three reasons that I'm giving. And sad to say, most Christians have never really thought about how praise affects God. Now, this is really significant. I believe that the reason that God created us wasn't just for service. It was for relationship. And our relationship with God is most important. And not only what we can get from it, but we have something that we can give God. You think, what do I have to give God? We think of service and things like this. But look at this passage of Scripture. In Acts chapter 13, And in verse 2, it's talking about all of these people, including Paul and Silas, who were in the church at Antioch. And it says in verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now think about this. I remember I read through this verse many times and just never really thought uh, about this aspect of it. But it says, As they ministered to the Lord. How do you minister to the Lord? Now, that's an important question. Some people think, well, as we serve Him, as we go out and we share the gospel with other people, as we 
reflect Him in our life as we help other people, when we give money to things, we are ministering to the Lord. And I don't discount that. That is one of the ways of ministering to the Lord. He says, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. But I want you to think about this. In this instance, it says they were fasting and praying and ministering to the Lord. They weren't out serving other people. They weren't out helping somebody else. They weren't preaching the gospel. This was a group of people, about six or seven men, who were fasting and praying and ministering to the Lord. So ministering to the Lord includes, I believe, being a blessing and let God flow through you to touch other people. But there must be something more to ministering to the Lord because these people weren't out touching people's lives or doing anything like that. Let me also mention that over in the eighth chapter of the book of Matthew, this is where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And it says in Matthew chapter 8 and in verse 15, it says, And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and ministered unto them. Now, in this instance, when it says that Peter's mother-in-law ministered unto them, it's pretty obvious that what she did, she probably, you know, cooked them food. They washed their feet. That was a custom that you had when a guest came into your home. And she served them and did things like that. And so that would be called ministering unto the Lord. But again, most people's idea about ministering unto the Lord is doing something for Him, going out and touching another person's life, doing something like this. But when you go back to Acts, these people were praying and fasting, and yet they were ministering unto the Lord. So ministering unto the Lord, what, what were they doing? It's for sure that they didn't put a chair down and imagine God sitting in it and they were preaching at Him. You know, in a sense, right now, I'm ministering and I'm sharing truths from God's Word and I'm trying to enlighten you with things that God has enlightened me about. That's called ministry. I'm ministering the gospel over television. But they weren't ministering to the Lord in the sense that they were preaching at Him, telling Him something. There's nothing that they could do for the Lord like that. So let me ask you again, what does it mean to minister unto the Lord? Well, I think it's pretty obvious if you stop and think about this, that as they were fasting and praying, they were just in the presence of the Lord, that, you know, there's many scriptures, and I'll refer to this more the more we go through this, but it says to enter into His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise, be thankful unto Him and bless His name. That part of praise or let me rephrase that, part of prayer is praising God and worshiping God and thanking Him for all of His goodness. I think it's Psalms 107 that there's four times in that passage where it lists all of the great things that God has done. And of course, this is the Lord speaking through the one who wrote Psalms 107 and talking about how good God had been to Israel. But then four times in that psalm, it says, Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works unto the sons of man. And that was God speaking through this writer and trying to encourage people to express praise and thanksgiving back to God. And so 
Anyway, you put all of these things together, I believe it's obvious that yes, when we minister to other people, when we preach the gospel, when we serve other people, when we help them and do things, that's ministering to people. And if we've done it to the least of these, then we've also done it to the Lord. So that is ministry. But in this instance, these people weren't doing any of these things. They were just praising the Lord. They were worshiping Him. They were thanking Him. And that ministered to the Lord. And I know that when I first saw this, I'm sure that it's the same with many of you, that I had never thought about me having anything I could give the Lord except something that I do. I could give Him my talents. I could serve Him and I could do things. But to think that God just loves me and that God wants me to minister unto Him and just say thank you and that that blesses God. That was a total revelation to me. Let me share this passage out of Revelation chapter 4. And if you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, this is where, this is what's going on in heaven right now. In the first verse of the fourth chapter, the Lord said, come up hither and I'll show you things to come. So the first three chapters were written to the seven churches of Asia. It was something that was current and present for John at the time he was writing it. But beginning in chapter 4, it, he was caught up into heaven and he saw what was going on in heaven. And it talks about these 24 elders and the four living creatures. And these uh, 24 elders, every time the four living creatures would worship God, they would fall down on their face and throw their crowns before God. And it says that these creatures ceased not to um, praise God day and night. And so... Um, let me just pick up and read part of this. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it said, The four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when the beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him, that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying. Now, before I get into what they're saying, just notice it says that they cease not day and night to constantly be worshiping the Lord. And every time they worship the Lord, these 24 elders fall on their face and throw their crowns before the Lord. So apparently heaven is basically just all worship and praise, giving glory to God. The beasts are doing it 24 hours a day. Every time they do it, the elders fall on their face. And so they must be just worshiping the Lord, sitting down. And then here goes these beasts again, praising God. And I mean, it's just constant praise and worship. That's what's going on in heaven right now. This is giving us a glimpse into what heaven is all about. And I mean, it is just full of the glory of God. And here's what these uh, elders say. It says in verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Boy, this is powerful. And the, the wording of this is really revealing to me. The Lord has used this verse to really speak into my life. And notice it says, for thy pleasure they are, that means that the original purpose of God creating everything, the worlds, you and me, animals, anything that God created, it was all created for His pleasure. It says it was 
and are. In other words, that was the original purpose is to give God pleasure, and it's still the purpose of God for all of creation is to bring pleasure unto Him. And this is a thought that many people have never really explored. They've never allowed themselves to go there. But we think that, you know, Christians believe that sometimes God might get pleasure when we lay our life down, when we sacrifice, when we serve Him and touch other people and that that might bless Him. But there are very few people that have moved into a relationship with God where they understand that God just gets pleasure from us, not just from what we do. Again, that's a part of it. I'm not trying to minimize that, but I am trying to maximize that God just loves us. He wants relationship with us, not just service. Service is fine if it's in the right place, but it is not a substitute for a relationship with God. This says that God's original purpose in creating mankind, Adam and Eve, and still His purpose today is for His pleasure. You know, we have become so do-oriented. So much of religion is talking about what you must do. We're human doings instead of human beings. And many people are substituting, just serving God and doing something for God instead of giving Him themselves. God wants us more than He wants what we can do for Him. If God gets your heart, if you ever go to understanding how worshiping God and loving God blesses Him and ministers directly to God, and if you establish that connection and really get into an intimate relationship with God where you believe that God is pleased with you and God inhabits your praises, I guarantee you if you ever experience that, God will get your service. Service should be the byproduct of relationship with God, not a substitute for relationship with God. But religion has become so focused on doing something, going out and doing a work for God, that many times people are serving God, but they don't have a good personal relationship with God. They are substituting this service and they just are constantly thinking there's got to be some purpose. I've got to be accomplishing something. I've got to be doing something. You know, my wife and I, we took our kids. This is a long time ago when our kids were real little. And we like going on vacation away from people. I guess I'm around people all of the time. I love people when I'm there ministering to them. I'm, I'm a people person, but I certainly need my downtime. So when we go on vacation, we don't like to go to big cities and go to something like that. We go out into the mountains. And one time we took our kids and we drove a dirt road to the point that you couldn't drive any further. We got out and hiked the trail until the trail ended. And we were up above tree line. We were like 12,000 feet up in the mountains of Colorado. And we came over one of the mountains and there was, uh, we just left the trail. We started just taking off through the forest and then uh, up in these mountain meadows. And we came over a hill and there was a beautiful lake way up on top of one of these mountains. And there was kind of a, a meadow next to it. And there were these flowers that were three, four, maybe five feet tall. And in that high alpine uh, climate there in Colorado, uh, these flowers only bloom for about a week or maybe two weeks during the summer. It was July, August time and 
I mean, these flowers were just beautiful and they were everywhere. There was thousands and thousands of them. And as we came upon this, I was just praising God and thinking about how awesome this was, thinking about that man in all of their power and ability, they could not create a single one of those flowers. And God just had hundreds of thousands of them in this pasture, in this meadow. And it was like we might be the only people that would be up there during that period of time and see these flowers. And I was thinking of all of the effort, all of the expense that God went to, to create all these beautiful flowers that are just there for a week or so. We might be the only people to see it. And I verbalized this to Jamie and I said, you know, look at all the effort that God went to. And he did this just for us. He did this. We might be the only people to see it. Look at all the effort that God went to. And Jamie referred back to Revelation 4.11 and she told me, she says, you know, for his pleasure, these things are and were created. She said, whether we'd have seen it or not, God gets pleasure out of this. God enjoys his creation. And you know, again, that's just a mindset that most people don't have. I, most people are like I was thinking, what is the purpose of this? How many people are going to see this? How many lives will be touched? And all of this effort, and what did it do? What did it accomplish? We're always thinking about we've got to do something. But God created this creation and you and me for His pleasure. And whether or not we are out doing something and changing people's lives, God loves you just for who you are. Not just what you can do for Him, but God loves you and He wants relationship with you. You know, this places a value on us that most people just really haven't understood. I think that a lot of people, this was the way I was, that God is, is our Creator. He's Almighty and He created us. And when this world went into chaos, when mankind sinned against Him, and there was this broken relationship because of it, God felt responsible. God felt obligated as our creator to do something. And so he offered salvation to us through Jesus. But I saw it more as kind of a debt, an obligation, a responsibility that God had to perform for the human race. But, you know, it's so clear like uh, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God didn't just save us out of a sense of obligation, out of a debt, a responsibility or something, but He is passionate about us. We were created for His pleasure. That was the original purpose. And even though we have fallen and we aren't the people that God created us to be, it's still His purpose to create us for His pleasure. God wants relationship with us. That's powerful. You know, God fellowshiped with Adam and Eve every evening in the cool of the day. He would go meet with them. He had an entire universe to run. I'm sure there's other things that God could have been doing, and yet God meant with Adam and Eve every single day. And through the New Testament, it says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us always. The Lord inhabits us. He dwells in our heart. God wants relationship with us. He created us for relationship. And I think that to a large degree, we have substituted service for a relationship. God wants you. 
You know, when I married my wife, I remember when I proposed to Jamie, I said, Jamie, I want you to share the rest of my life with me. And that's what I wanted. I wanted someone that would go with me through everything that I was going through. At the time, I didn't know what all that meant, but I asked Jamie to just share the rest of my life with me because I wanted relationship with someone. I wanted someone to share life with and all of these things. Now, at the time, I honestly didn't even know if Jamie could cook. I didn't ask her if she could cook. She never cooked me a meal. I didn't marry Jamie because I needed a cook. It turns out that Jamie is a great cook and Jamie cooks good food. And, and you know what? I appreciate it. But I didn't marry her to get a cook. It turns out that Jamie keeps a very clean house. You know, I've been in some people's houses where you can't even step on the carpet. There's so many there clothes and there's just stuff on the floor and the house is dirty. Boy, Jamie keeps a clean house. She's got a little bear at the entrance to our uh, house that says bare feet only. And I'm supposed to take my boots, my shoes off and, you know, not walk on the carpet. Now, I don't do it uh, very well. I don't conform to that. But I mean, that's a reflection of how that she's so organized. She keeps everything clean. Jamie keeps all of her spices alphabetized. I mean, she is a perfectionist, an organizational person, which is a great balance to me because I'm just the opposite of it. So together we make a good couple. And I appreciate Jamie cleaning my clothes and cleaning the house and cooking for me and all of those things. And in their place, did you know that that really blesses me and it uh, enhances our relationship. I appreciate what she does, but I didn't marry Jamie to get a housekeeper. I married Jamie because I love Jamie. I wanted Jamie to be with me. I wanted relationship with her. And the very things that bless me when they're done in their proper place would cease to be a blessing if she loved that house more than she loved me. If she got to where she would yell and say, take off your boots, how dare you step on my carpet? If I ever thought that she loved the carpet and keeping the carpet clean more than she loved me, the very things that are now a blessing to me in their place would, would start to be something that I hate. And you know, this is exactly what the Lord said in the Old Covenant in so many places. He commanded sacrifices. He commanded these feasts and all of these rituals that He instituted, and they were supposed to be expressions of the people's love and dependence upon God. And in the proper place, it's just fine. But when the minor prophets came along after the entire nation of Israel had basically rebelled at God and walked away from Him. They were still going through the motions and they were still offering daily sacrifices and coming to the feast. And they were doing some of the things that God commanded them to do. But the Lord said, like in Psalms chapter 50, He says that I am sick of your feast and all of these things. They are a stink in my nostril, these sacrifice. And He says, away with them. I cannot abide these kind of things. Now, these were things that He told them to do. These were things that were done under His instructions, but when they became a substitute for a relationship with God, instead of an expression of relationship with God, they ceased to bless Him. And He even said, I'm tired of them. Get your sacrifices away from me. 
See, that's what I was talking about. I married Jamie for a relationship with Jamie. And the fact that she does things for me and serves me and blesses me, it's wonderful. And I appreciate it in their proper place. But if she ever got to where she was more concerned about her food, about her house, about her clothes, about all of these things, instead of doing it because she loves me and a response to me, instead, if she substituted that and got to where that was more important than me, then those things would cease to be a blessing to me. And I'm telling you, with many of us, this is exactly what has happened in our relationship. We have gotten to where we are serving God and doing things for God, but we aren't really in relationship with God. You've always got to keep the proper order. You know, I remember that there was a time that I was actually reading the Word and I, you know, I don't do it, I'm not doing it this year, but typically I will read through a Bible reading program and I've read through the Bible as many as two and three times in one year. And when you do that, you have to do four chapters a day to read through the Bible in one year. And when you're reading two and three times, it can be on up to, you know, uh, what would that be? Three times that, uh, 12 chapters a day you have to read. And if I'm in transit on an airplane or something and can't read, well, then it can be, you know, 24 chapters you've got to read. And so I was reading through my Bible readings one time and I was, uh, I, I kind of go through the motions and say, Father, I want you to speak to me. I'm believing that this is giving me revelation and I'll pray things like that. And so I started reading, and I mean on like the second or the third verse, God started speaking to me. I started getting revelation. God was communing with me. And I kind of sat back, took my eyes off of the Scripture, and I started meditating on what God was saying to me. And then I caught myself. And I thought, man, I still have 12 chapters to go today. And so I just shelved that thought, pushed it out of my mind, and I went back to reading the Scripture. And I was only a couple of verses down there and the Lord spoke to me and He said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm reading the Word. And the Lord said, and why do you read the Word? And I said, well, so that you could speak to me, so that I could hear your voice. And then it just got quiet. The Lord didn't say anymore. And I got to thinking about what does all of this mean? And I realized that I was reading the Bible so that I could have relationship with the Lord, that God could speak to me, that I could get revelation. And on the second verse, the Holy Spirit started speaking to me and, and communicating some things to me. But because I had 12 more chapters to read, I basically rejected the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I pushed God out of the way. In a sense, it's like saying, God, how dare you interrupt me? I'm reading the Bible. I've got 12 chapters I've got to read so I can check my list off and do these things. You see what I'm saying? That the purpose of reading the Word isn't so that you can accomplish, you know, reading through the Bible in one year so that you can meet your goal. It is so that you can open your heart to the Lord and listen to God and let God speak to you. And if God goes to speaking to you on the very first verse of your Bible reading, and if God is saying something to you, you ought to forget the rest of the Bible reading and let God say what He's got to say. Now again, I am not saying that we don't 
you know, have a Bible reading program and read through, but I'm saying we, we, we should be doing these things not in order to say, well, I've read through the Bible and for your own gratification and it's not so that you can just swell your mind and, and, and come up with some understanding about God. It is so that you can know God God reveals himself to us through the scripture. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He changes our heart. And that ought to be the goal. It's all about relationship with God and not just accomplishing something. But we have become so goal-oriented. We want to read through the Bible in one year that we... So you, I'm not saying that this always happens, but you can get to where you actually... Your Bible reading becomes a hindrance to your personal relationship with God. God has wanted to say something to you through the very first verse you read and you got four more chapters to go and you won't let God get a word in edgewise because you've got to finish your Bible reading. It was just a religious exercise. It was something that I was doing to soothe my conscience, to make me feel like I was doing enough and I was seeking the Lord enough to please Him. And there was probably some benefit to it in the sense that I wasn't watching television. I wasn't doing something else that I could have been doing. My attention and my thoughts were about the Lord. So I'm not saying it was useless, but I am saying that, you know, we just sometimes get to where we have these things that we've got to do for God. And it's not about our personal relationship with God. And I know I've been guilty of this. There, there have been times, I remember one time in Mesa, Arizona, that I had been ministering for weeks, not just in Mesa, but other places. And I was having three services a day. I came to Mesa, Arizona, and I was holding three services a day. And during the afternoon message, I was preaching from the book of Romans. And what I was saying was accurate and it was true. It was things that God had shown me. But you know what? I had gotten so busy just doing and ministering to other people, that it had been literally days or weeks before I had sat down and studied the Word for myself and just fellowshipping with the Lord. It had been days or weeks since I had just prayed to the Lord. I was busy day and night doing things, not sinful things. I was ministering to people, but I was doing all of these things instead of having a personal relationship with the Lord. And because of it, I was so... Uh, burned out. I was so, I'd given out so much that I honestly thought to myself, if I wasn't the one preaching, I would quit and walk out of this place right now. And I realized that here I was doing all of the right things, but it was, I wasn't in communion with the Lord. It was just like a machine or something. And I was, I was a human doing, but not a human being. I wasn't ministering to the Lord. And I made some adjustments. That's been 20 or 30 years ago. And I made some adjustments that I just will not put out so much without refilling myself and being in communion with the Lord. I was just talking to Dick and D. Eastman yesterday. had lunch with them, Every Home for Christ. And they were talking about, you know, they travel. And I said, how do you do all of this travel? And one of the things that they do is that they will schedule two or three extra days when they travel overseas and do these things and it's just days of rest and they will sit there and they spend time together and they spend time with the Lord. And I tell you, there's great wisdom in that. But it's all about personal relationship with the Lord and praise. 
It, it is a weapon against the devil. It'll stop Satan in his tracks. Praise will touch you. It'll change your focus. It helps you. But most people don't understand that praise ministers to God. It blesses God. This is why you were created, was to be a blessing to God. And if we aren't entering his gates with thanksgiving, if we aren't being thankful for all that he's done for us, if we aren't praising him, well, then in that sense, God is missing something that he needs. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God is sitting on the throne, sucking his thumb, pouting, having problems because we aren't being thankful and praising him and, and fellowshipping with him. But I am saying that God created us for relationship, not just service. He could have created another angel. He could have created something mechanical to get what you know, needs to be done, done. But he created us for fellowship, for his pleasure. And God desires it. He inhabits the praises of his people. And brothers and sisters, when you and I are not praising God, when we are not glorifying God, in that sense, God's needs are not being met. And I know that even saying this, a lot of people think, well, God doesn't have any needs. He's self-contained. Well, God, because of his great love for us, he has put himself into a position where he's vulnerable. I'm, again, not saying that it, God is somehow or another, uh, you know, depressed or, or defeated or has any of those kind of things that we talk about when we say that we have a need that is unmet. But God needs, God desires, God wants relationship with you. And God is pleased when you just thank Him, when you praise Him. He inhabits your praises. You know, I've quoted that verse. Let me turn over here to Psalms chapter 22. And in verse 3, it says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits uh, the praises of Israel. God inhabits our praise. One of the points that I've been trying to get across is that most people think when they minister to the Lord, that they're talking about serving Him, serving other people, preaching to people, serving them, helping them. It's all do-oriented. But I've been trying to explain from Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says that they ministered to the Lord and fasted and prayed, these group of people in Antioch, and they weren't out serving Him in the sense that they were preaching to someone, meeting their needs. They were just in relationship with God. And as they gave thanks and praise, it ministered to God. So yes, you can, you can minister for God and be a blessing by touching other people, but most people don't understand that God just wants you. He wants you. He wants your praise. He wants relationship with you. And He wants service, but service should be a byproduct of or a result of relationship with God, not a substitute for a relationship with God. And sad to say, I think that that's what a lot of people have done. I was at a missions conference one time and there was a man up speaking about how we have a debt to minister to other people, how we have to take the gospel out and share it. And he was trying to impress people on our responsibility to minister to other people. And in the process of trying to get that point across, he made this statement and he said, the sole justification for your existence on this earth is to lead another person to the Lord. And then he went on to say, if God just wanted to bless you, 
well, then he'd take you to heaven because in heaven you are going to be more blessed than you could ever be here. The reason you are here is because God wants you to be reaching out and serving him and touching other people. Well, I understood the point that he was trying to make and I agreed with the emphasis that we are supposed to put on taking the truths that God has shown us and sharing them with other people. But when he said that, the Lord just began to reveal some things to me and he says, that's incorrect. And here's the way that I really saw this. If you turn over to the book of Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2, and then their fall in Genesis chapter 3, what was their sole purpose for their justification? If you say that the sole purpose uh, or the sole justification for our existence here on the earth is to reach somebody else, to be a tool and to do something, well, then what were Adam and Eve's? Uh, justification for their existence. They didn't have anybody else to minister to. They didn't have any demons to cast out. They didn't have a church to go to and work in the church and serve. They didn't have the poor to help, the, the uh, hungry to help. They didn't have the sick to go minister to. They didn't have demons to cast out. They didn't have prayer that they could bind uh, the operation of the devil. If you go back to the original Adam and Eve, the original creation, what was the purpose of their existence? It wasn't to do something for God. God didn't need them to do anything. There was no house to believe for, no clothes to believe for, no car to believe for, no money to pray in. There was nothing to do. And yet, you know, today, most people's relationship, if you could just somehow or another, uh, you know, uh, distill their relationship down to, you know, its simplest terms... Most people in prayer, it's all about they are asking God for something. They're repenting and asking forgiveness for what they've already done. Or if you're really spiritual, then you will be repenting for other people and asking God to bless them and you'll be interceding and stuff like that. But Adam and Eve didn't have anything to intercede for. They didn't have any request. They didn't have any needs. God had anticipated every need, all of the food. The, the climate was just perfect. They didn't have any storms to rebuke. Adam and Eve, what did they pray? How did they fellowship with God? Well, you know, I believe that probably they just were saying, God, today was awesome. The weather was perfect. It was beautiful. We found new trees. We found new fruit. We tasted this. It was something we had never tasted before. You're so awesome. Thank you so much for all that you've done. They would talk about the animals. You know, I'm just totally speculating, but I believe they could have been saying something like, man, we found the duckbill platypus today that seems like it was just an animal that you had all of these parts left over and you just put them all into one animal. <laughs> and they were just saying, God, it's awesome. We saw these majestic animals, all of these things. And they were just praising him and thanking him and, and expressing their wonder and appreciation for everything that he had done. And you know what? That was their relationship with God. Today, most people, their relationship with God is just, they come and they, they talk about how sorry they are. They repent of this. Oh God, I need this. Give me this. Or if you're spiritual, you're repenting for other people's sorriness and interceding for them. But very, very, very little of our relationship with God is just loving Him and worshiping Him. 
And yet one of the verses that I've used the last couple of days, Revelation 4:11, says that in heaven, the 24 elders are saying, Thou art worthy to receive honor and glory and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The original purpose of God and still the purpose of God today is for his pleasure. You and I were created for his pleasure. He used to just fellowship with Adam and Eve and hear them talk about what was going on and say thank you. And you know what? That was justification for their existence. Again, we often, in an effort to try and emphasize how we have a responsibility to share truth with other people, we put the emphasis on doing, doing something. Go do a work for God. And again, there is a truth to that, that yes, we are supposed to offer our spirit, soul, and body to God, and we're supposed to serve God with our actions. But I'm telling you, it, well, I wasn't just made to do something for God. I was made to be an object of God's love. God created me for personal relationship with Him, not just to do something for Him. I can tell you in my own personal life, there was a large, uh, long segment of time when Jamie and I first got started in ministry that people stayed away from our meetings by the thousands. And if I would have just been looking at physical things and looking at results, I would have been totally discouraged. I had those temptations come to me. And the way that I coped with it and dealt with it was because I wasn't just focused on the results. I was focused on God. My relationship with God has always been a priority and I just love God and fellowship with Him. And even when I couldn't see things in the natural working the way that they should, I could always have a great relationship with God and feel His pleasure and feel like that I was uh, pleasing to God, not because of what I was doing, but just because of my personal relationship with Him. Man, when you understand this, it puts you in a strong position that regardless of what's going on in your life, you can love God, you can thank Him, you can bless Him, you can minister unto God. God gets ministered to by our praise. You know, I had an email sent to me just a couple of weeks ago and it was about a man who pastored a church and he was in an industrial town and every day sometime around noon, there would be this man, an older man, who looked, you know, dressed kind of poorly and uh, he just kind of shuffled around and he would walk into the church and sit down and just spend a few minutes there just praying and just talking. And, and it was curious to this minister and he watched him come and he started coming every single day during the noon hour and he would just spend a few moments praying and then he'd leave. And so eventually this, this minister went up and asked him who he was and what he was doing and he said, oh, he worked at this factory and during his lunch break, he would walk about a 10, 15 minute walk from the factory. He would come, sit in the church and pray for a few moments and then he would go back to work. And, and the minister says, well, you know, this is a long ways. You, you're losing your lunch out. What do you say? And, and the guy said, I just nearly say the same thing every day. He says, Lord, this is, you know, Bill or whoever. And he says, I'm just checking in want you to know that I appreciate you. And since you've changed my life, I appreciate everything about it. And he says, just checking in, seeing if there's anything that you need. And it's so ministered to the minister 
that he realized he hadn't been blessing God and ministering to God. He had been serving and doing, but he hadn't really been serving God. And so it inspired him and changed his prayer life. And then one day after years of this happening, one day this man didn't show up. And after a few days of him not being there, he decided he'd go check on him. And he went to the factory and asked about this person. And they said, oh, he's in the hospital. And so he went to visit him in the hospital. And when he got there, the nurses were talking about this man has just changed everybody. And he is so happy and he's so positive, even though he's in this terrible condition, says nobody comes to visit him uh, ever. Nobody. You're the very first person to come to see him. And yet he is so happy and he's been such a blessing to everyone. And so this minister walked into his room and uh, told him hi. And then he says, you know, I'm sorry that nobody's come to see you. And he said, uh, but everybody here is talking about what a blessing and how positive you've been. And says, I'm just sorry that nobody's come to see you. And he says, and this man said, you know, they just don't understand. He says, every day at noon, God comes and he sits right here and he talks to me and he says, Bill, this is God and I'm just checking in and I want you to know that I am so happy that ever since I saved your life that you fellowship with me, that you come every day. And he had been just checking in with God. Now God came every day and because of it, this man was experiencing a joy and a peace that other people couldn't understand because they're so external minded. But I'm telling you that God wants relationship with you. And yes, He wants you to serve Him and to reach out and to touch other people. But none of those things are a substitute for your personal relationship with God. And when you pray and when you just praise God and thank Him, I believe it ministers to God. It doesn't have to be something supernatural or profound. You know, again, I say that Adam and Eve were just talking to him about the weather and about the trees and about the fruit and about the animals and about things and just thanking him and praising him. God, you made a beautiful creation. You know, one of the things I drove in today and I knew I was going to be talking about this and I was just thinking, God, thank you for a beautiful day. You know, it was dark when I drove in. I couldn't see all of these things, but I just was thanking him for being able to drive through the mountains, thanking him for all of his provision, thanking him for the things that he's done. And I believe that that ministers to God just to say thanks. I tell you, being thankful is a godly trait. It says over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it lists, I think, 16 things that would be a signs of the end time. In the last days, people would begin to do all of these things. And one of the things it lists right there, it says that they would be unthankful and unholy. It lists unthankfulness right next to unholiness. And I'm telling you today, there aren't a lot of people that are just thankful. Man, praise God, things are as good as they are. You know, you can take an example of this. I forget the exact chapter, but when Jesus healed these 10 lepers, they came to him and they had a request to be healed. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. And one turned back and said, Lord, and they began to thank him. And the Lord said, weren't there 10 that were cleansed? Where are the nine? The other nine, they just took what God did for them and they went out and they started living their life. But there was only one out of 10 that returned to give thanks. And the Lord appreciated it. The Lord said that because you've done this, you've been made whole. The others were healed. 
but he was made whole. If he lost digits or if, you know, uh, leprosy had eaten away part of his flesh, his flesh was restored. The others were healed, but he was made whole. I'm telling you, when you go to thanking and praising God, it does something for you, but it blesses God. God appreciates it. God longs for your fellowship. God loves you personally. Look at this in Luke chapter 10. This is talking about Jesus and his disciples came into a certain village. This is Luke 10, 38. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Boy, this is so descriptive of a huge segment of people today that just are troubled and cumbered about with all of these things. They're so busy. But he goes on to say, one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Did you know most people, again, would just say, but she isn't doing what she's supposed to do. Just like Martha saying, she needs to help me. She's shirking her responsibilities. We've got food to cook. We've got things to do. We've got guests in the house. And Martha or Mary is just sitting there, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to everything and loving him and accepting him. And Jesus said, Mary is the one that chose the good part, the best part. Did you know that Jesus could have multiplied food? He had done it before. They didn't have to fix food. How many times do you get Jesus in his physical body to walk into your house and to be there and to be speaking these words of life? I guarantee you there's some things more important than, than all of these things that are good in their place. There's nothing wrong with taking care of guests that come into your home and serving them and cooking food and doing things. But boy, if you have Jesus there, you need to put a priority on just sitting and receiving from Him. And Jesus said, Mary chose the good part. We need to start recognizing that praise and thanksgiving is ministering unto God. It builds our relationship. It blesses God. You know, there are so many scriptures. Psalms chapter 34, verse 1 is just one that stands out. And it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Boy, there, I could preach on that for an hour. I will bless the Lord at all times, not just when it feels good, not just when I feel like doing it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. When you are praising God, that is blessing Him. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. In Psalms 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. You know why it tells you not to forget his benefits? because the tendency is to forget his benefits and think only about what we need, what is in the future instead of all of the good that God has done. It's a command. This is us speaking to our soul and saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. 
You know, I hadn't got time to go into it, but your spirit is a part of you that got saved. It's a part that has love, joy, and peace. You're perfect in your spirit. It's your soul that fluctuates and gets encouraged and discouraged and depressed and and fearful and all of these things. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is taking authority over our soul and saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. And there's just many, many scriptures that go along with this. But did you know that this has become kind of like a religious cliche? There's just people that say, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. I'm in church services and I'll often hear people saying, bless the Lord. (laughs) Did you know that that may or may not bless the Lord? Blessing the Lord isn't just saying those words, but it's when you express your thanksgiving, your love, your appreciation. When you're like one of these lepers that return to give thanks, it blesses God. When you just think about Him and when you respond to Him and you don't just take from Him, but you give back and say, thank you. Thank you, Father, for touching my life. That blesses God. You know, an example of this is when my kids were young. I mean, they were like four and six or something like that. They were real young. And we had horses and I took them out. They each got to take one of the neighborhood kids with them. So I had four kids with me and we went out and rode horses all day. We played in the creek. We put a rope across the creek. We dammed up the creek. We fell in the creek. We had water fights. We went and ate junk food, ice cream, and all of this kind of stuff. The kids got filthy, dirty, and we just had a great day. I mean, all day long, all of the stuff that if Jamie was with us, she wouldn't have wanted them to eat the junk food. She would have, you know, said, don't fall in the creek. We just did all this stuff. It was awesome. We had a great day. And anyway, at the end of the day, we, you know, got them cleaned up. We had our devotions, prayed with them. I kissed my youngest one. Peter, he was about four at the time. And I kissed him goodnight and turned out the light. And as I was leaving the room, he, he goes, Dad? And I said, yes. And he said, you're a good dad. You know what? He didn't go, bless you, Dad. <laughs> he just said, you're a good dad. And you know what that did? It blessed me. And this is what I believe, that when the scripture says, bless the Lord, O my soul, I will bless the Lord at all times. It's not talking about just saying those words. It's talking about when you say, Father, you're a good God. You are a good God. Thank you for what you've done. It blesses God. You know, when you see a sunrise or a sunset and you say, thank you, Father, it's just beautiful. That blesses God. When you thank God and say, Father, thank you that I've got a place to stay. Thank you that I've got a roof over my head. Thank you for my food. When we pray over our food, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that the the food is sanctified by the word of God and prayer because we give thanksgiving for it. When you just say thank you and Father, I acknowledge you as my source, it blesses God. And then he blesses your food and takes all sickness away from the midst. We need to be thanking God. And when we do, it blesses God. I'm telling you, most people just don't have this concept. They think that the only way that they can give back to God is go and serve and do something. And yes, that's part of it. But God just wants you. I go back to the verse that I started this teaching with. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, they ministered unto God and fasted and prayed. They weren't out touching people, doing something. They were worshiping God and just thanking Him and being in His presence. 
and that ministered unto God. It blessed God. It blesses God when you say thank you. I know that some of you just feel like you've got nothing that you can give God, that God doesn't need anything. You're the one with all of the needs. And it is true that we're the ones that need all of the encouragement. God is not defeated. He's not depressed. He's not in a bad mood. And I agree with all of those things. But God loves us. And anyone who loves has a desire for that love to be returned. And it blesses God when you just say thank you. You know, just like my son Peter when he said, Dad, you're a good dad. That blessed me. I believe that when I say, Father, you're a good God. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you that things are as good as they are. Maybe things could be better, but thank you that they're as good as they are. It blesses God. You know, it says in Zephaniah, I'd have to look all of this up. Uh, I think it's Zephaniah 3:17, but it says, The Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. He will rejoice over you. He will joy over you with singing. He will rest in His love. And if you look those words up in the Hebrew, it literally means to dance and to twirl. God loves us so much that when just we stop and say, Thank you, Father. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the good things that you've done in my life. Boy, God, just the angels begin to dance and twirl and rejoice over us. God inhabits the praises of His people. And if we understood this, then yes, we need to minister to other people. Yes, we need to serve God in those other ways. But nothing else substitutes for us just thanking God and worshiping God for just who He is. And I'm telling you, I think that most people have missed out on this. And I don't know, I don't have the words to explain this, but I can tell you that when I start thanking God and giving unto Him, I get blessed. I don't know exactly how all this works, but it's just God is a giver and God is not going to let you out give Him. If you bless Him, if, if it pleases Him, and if you are touching His heart, God will touch your heart. You get blessed by blessing God. You get touched by when you just say thank you to Him. It touches you. And I know that some people think, oh no, God would not do that. They see God as this detached, distant person. God wants personal relationship with you. He wants to talk to you personally. He wants you to thank Him. And when you give praise to God and you thank Him, for what He's done for you. It touches God. He touches you back. It, it will set you on fire. It'll bless you. I don't know how God could get more blessed than what I get blessed when I'm just thanking Him and praising Him. This is what it means to bless the Lord and God wants that kind of relationship with you. You know, there was a time that my wife and I used to go to Catherine Kuhlman meetings and we would usher in her meetings. And I remember seeing the miracles of God, people just miraculously healed. People that I knew were miraculously healed because I had to take them off of stretchers and put them in chairs. And I mean, they were just frail. And then I would see these people running and jumping and pushing their stretcher. And I mean, I was just awestruck. And I remember after one of her services over at Will Rogers Auditorium in Fort Worth, Texas, 
that I was, everybody left and Jamie and I were just left. It was like we were on holy ground and we were just sitting there spellbound and thanking God for what we had seen him do. And we were just praising God. We were overwhelmed. And many years later, I was in Omaha, Nebraska. And when I got ready to leave, I saw people just sitting there in the exact same way that Jamie and I were. And they were just spellbound at the power of God that was present. We saw blind eyes open, deaf ears open. We saw miracles happen. And I saw people sitting there exactly the way that I had been like 20 or 30 years before. And as I was driving to our hotel, to my hotel room, I remember just thanking God and saying, thank you, Father. Thank you. What a privilege to be used by you to touch somebody's life. And I knew what was happening in their heart. And I was just thanking God for the opportunity and for the privilege. And some of you will choke on this because, again, you don't see God this way. But I believe this with all of my heart, that as I was thanking and praising God and thanking Him for this privilege, God spoke to me and He said, well, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for yielding to me. Thank you for letting me flow through you to touch people's lives. And I know that there's people watching this and think, oh no, God had never thanked me because you don't, you don't see God that way. But I'm telling you that God is pleased with us. God gets pleasure out of us. And when we go to worshiping and thanking Him, it blesses the Lord. And God is a kind, gracious God. Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 11, I am meek and lowly in heart. God is not this austere, distant, unrelated God that just demands service and you serve Him or else. God loves you personally. And when you go to loving God back and thanking Him and praising Him, it blesses Him. And you know what? God will tell you, thank you. God will appreciate you. And I know that there's people struggling and swallowing hard on this and you th you're choking on it like, like, no, this can't be. But I'm telling you that I believe that this is the way that God is. You know, I remember when we were first getting started in ministry, we had a little ministry in Seagaville, Texas. We, we went into this place called the Christian Fire Escape. It was like a coffee house. And... Um, it was in an old bank building downtown Seagaville, Texas. And uh, the people that had had it before us couldn't pay their electricity. So the electricity was turned off. We had wine bottles with candles in it that we used in the winter. It got cold in there. And anyway, we would sit there and just worship the Lord. And uh, as we were singing one time, Jamie had this vision. And she saw angels in there just dancing and twirling and spinning all over the place as we worshiped the Lord. And at the time when she said that, she had never read this verse or she didn't remember it. She just saw this and she spoke out what she saw. And I turned over and read this verse. And this is exactly what Jamie saw happening. And I believe that this is not just a figure of speech. This is how God feels about us. God loves us. And when we worship Him, the Bible says, Proverbs, or Psalms 22, 3, that the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. And when you go to worshiping the Lord, it just releases things. If you start giving unto Him and blessing Him, He's going to turn around and bless you. And I believe that praise ought to be a huge part of our relationship with God. 
I believe that with the average person, it's the exact opposite, that we spend the vast, vast, vast majority of our time asking for something, repenting of something, begging for something, or begging for God to touch other people and move and do this. But there is very little of our prayer time that is true worship and thanksgiving to God. And yet I believe that that ought to be the bulk of it. 90 or 95%. If we were to spend more time just worshiping God and loving God, we wouldn't have as many needs. It would change our total perspective. We would quit lusting after some things and becoming codependent on all of these other things. We would be so plugged into God that it wouldn't matter so much if everything isn't going our way because God Almighty is still real and He's fellowshipping with us. I tell you, this is the way that I live. And I just constantly am thanking God and praising God for how good He is to me. And because of it, yes, there's people that criticize me and reject me. And there's, you know, I've got so many needs and so many things I'm doing on the horizon that if God doesn't come through, man, I could be dead in the water. I mean, I could be a disaster. But I just constantly am thanking God for what He's already done. And that gives me an assurance that in the same way that he's been faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the future. And it just shrinks my problems down. And I really don't have problems. You know, my mother was a blessing in this area. I remember she, she lived till she was 96. And uh, when she was about 95, my two boys and I were with her and we were just asking her questions and we were trying to get all this information knowing that she wouldn't be around very long. And I remember my boys asked her a question and said, you know, what are some of the problems that you've had to face and overcome in your life? And my mother, 95 years old, she said, you know, I've never had any problems in my life. She says, I have just been a blessed woman. God has been good to me. And on the surface, that may sound like that she's just lived a charmed life. But you know, my mother was abandoned at birth and she was adopted just a couple of days after her birth. And then the courthouse burnt down and they lost the records on who her true parents were. She never knew who her real parents were. She told a story about when she was in high school, people making fun of her saying, you're adopted. And instead of complaining about that and taking an offense the way most people would today, my mother responded by saying, my parents chose me. Your parents had to take what they've got. And she says, I've always felt love and appreciated. And so she didn't look at adoption as being a bad thing. She didn't look at uh, being abandoned at birth. She never knew why her mother didn't want her. And then she went through the depression and my mother went through all these things. My dad was sick uh, nearly their entire married life. He died just shortly after I was born and was raised from the dead and then was invalid for nearly 11 years. And he had to have a special diet. And she was watching her husband just slowly die over a period of time. My mother was widowed by the time she was, I forget the exact age of that, but it would have been somewhere in her mid-40s. Around 45, she was widowed. She still had me and my brother at home. My brother gave her a run for the money. And my mother went through all these things and she just, on and on I could go about it. And yet when my kids asked her, what hardships have you had to overcome? She says, I've never had any problems. And not because she hadn't had problems, but because of the way she processed it. Instead of looking at what she didn't have and complaining about it, she was thankful for what she did have.
And I'm telling you, this is what praise does for you. It makes you a thankful person. In the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, I've already referred to this at the beginning of this series, but let me just go back and make some points here that Paul and Silas in the 16th chapter, they had a vision and a man from Macedonia said, come over into Macedonia and help us. So they woke up in the morning knowing that God had sent them to Macedonia. And so they went over there. The very first place they went to was Philippi and they had some people that received the word, but within just a matter of days, People had gotten mad at them because they were turning people away from the worship of their demon gods and it was affecting them. He had cast the demon out of a girl that they were making money off of her, uh, you know, divination. And so because of it, they drew him to the magistrates. And here in Acts chapter 16, verse 20, it says, they brought them to the magistrates saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now, did you know all of this was unfounded? They were not there uh, countering Rome and countering the customs. All of the things that they were accused of were absolute lies. And yet Paul and Silas were never given an opportunity to defend themselves, to explain themselves. They were beaten. And it was actually against the law for, to beat Paul because he was a Roman citizen. And you had to go through a trial and prove them guilty before you could beat them. So Paul could have used his Roman citizenship as a get out of jail free card. And he could have kept this whole thing from happening. But instead he just patiently took this beating. I mean, this is, this is amazing. And it says in verse 23 that when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And so here they were, they were beaten and then they were thrown into prison. And they, these prisons in these days are not like our prisons today where people have flat screen TVs, internet access, and they have exercise yards and all of these kind of things that make it a little bit more humane. I mean, these were brutal, brutal places. And because they were given this charge to the jailer to keep him safely, in these days, if a prisoner escaped, they killed the jailer. His life went for their life. So this jailer was determined not to let them escape. And he put them into the dungeon, into the inner prison, the darkest part of the prison. Later, you see in this same story that he had to call for a light. There was zero light down there. And so it was just totally dark. It was in the worst part of the prison. I'm sure it was damp. It was dirty. It was filthy. And then they put their feet in their hands in the stocks, which meant that they couldn't even, you know, get into a comfortable position. They couldn't sit there and rub each other's back and somehow or another try and alleviate some of the pain or do anything. I mean, they were in this terrible position, probably in an awkward position, all of this hurt and all this pain and all of these things. And look at this. It says in verse 25 that uh, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. You know what? They weren't out preaching someplace. They didn't have a crowd around them. 
Here they were in a terrible situation. Most people, if you felt like God led you to do something and within a couple of days of you doing it, you were beaten, you were put in prison, your feet and hands in the stocks. It was absolutely dark. It was a terrible, I guarantee most people would be complaining. And if you were praying, you would be complaining and griping to the Lord, talking about how unfair all of this was. Or if you were really spiritual, you'd be interceding and pleading with God to get deliverance so that you could get out of that situation. But Paul and Silas were singing and praising God. And it says, and the prisoners heard them. If you look at this in the Greek language, it literally means that they hung on every word. These words penetrated them. It was touching the other prisoners. And in verse 26, it says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. You know what? They were worshiping God. They were singing and God got to patting his foot to the music and man, this earthquake came and it was a supernatural earthquake that opened up all of the prison doors and it made their chains fall off, but it didn't make the ceilings collapse. It was just, I mean, a supernatural earthquake that came and it not only set Paul and Silas free, but everyone's bands fell off, even the prisoners, even the other prisoners. And it says, and the keeper of the prison, awakening out of sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. And this is because of what I mentioned earlier, that if the prisoners escaped, they came and killed the guard. And the guard knew that his life was on the line. So he just thought it would be better to kill himself than to be tortured and humiliated by his Roman bosses. And, but in verse 28, it says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. You know, it's pretty obvious that Paul couldn't see this man. He didn't know exactly what was happening, but by the Spirit of the Lord, he knew that this Roman soldier was about to kill himself. And so he spoke out to him and told him not to harm himself. And in verse 29, it says, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that was in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway. And in the morning they were let go. But here's some things I want to point out to you that when this earthquake came and everybody's bands were loose, Paul cried out and said, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Not just Paul and Silas were still there, but even these prisoners, these people that may have been rapists, murderers, thieves, uh, you know, they were doing treason against the Roman government, whatever it was, all of these people that were in prison, when they were set free, not a one of them left. Now that's powerful. And I don't know, the scripture doesn't make it clear, but I believe that Paul and Silas were ministering unto the Lord. They were praising God and there was such an anointing on it. The power of God was so present that these prisoners were touched. They were feeling the presence of God. And you know, they were in the presence of God and they were freer in prison than they had ever been outside. They were in the presence of God. They were feeling God. 
And because of it, they were willing to stay in prison instead of take this opportunity to go free. <laughs> and here's another thing I want to point out that I've mentioned that praise is a weapon against the devil, that when we praise God, it stops Satan in his tracks. And I've given a number of scriptural examples of that. And so, you know, some people might have been in a situation like Paul and Silas, and they might have been worshiping God and praising God, singing praise songs in order to stop the devil and to get out of this situation. And I'm not saying that that's 100% wrong because it does work. But look at this, Paul and Silas weren't praising God just so that their chains could be loosed, so that they could get free. Here's a novel thought. Paul and Silas were worshiping God because they really were in love with God. They weren't doing it to get something. They were just worshiping God. And here they were in this terrible situation, put in a dungeon with their uh, backs beaten. They're, they were in the stocks and yet they were worshiping God. And when freedom came and when all of these things came, they didn't leave. They weren't worshiping God to get something. They were worshiping God with a pure motive, just loving God and thankful to Him for His goodness. Boy, that's powerful. You know, that's the kind of person that I want to be. I understand that praising God is a weapon against the devil and it stops the devil. And so I do praise God when I don't feel like it just because I hate the devil and I love to rub his nose in it. But you know what? I want to be a person that praises God, not just because it gets me something or gets me out of something. I want to praise God with a pure motivation just because I truly love God. Paul and Silas loved God and weren't praising Him to be a witness to somebody, weren't praising Him to get out of jail, weren't praising God to obtain something. They were doing it because even in a terrible situation when they were hurting and in pain, they were just so thankful and praising God for what He had done for them. I mean, if worse came to worse, and if these Romans had put Paul and Silas to death, they would have gone immediately into the presence of the Lord. And because of it, they just, they just found things to praise God for. They were worshiping God and thanking Him for all of His goodness towards them. I tell you, this is so powerful. And this, I believe, is pure Christianity. This is true Christianity. It's not when we are just doing things for God and serving Him out of sense of debt and obligation and it's all exterior. There's a place for ministering to other people. But I believe that true Christianity is just worshiping God, just loving God. People, even in our ministry, even Christians, some Christians do not understand that. But I'm telling you that you can have a personal relationship with God to where it's not just about what you do for Him. You love Him. You are ministering directly to Him. And as you do that, it blesses Him. He blesses you back. And you can have such a quality of relationship with God that it just overwhelms whatever you're dealing with in the external, whether it's losing a mate, losing a job, if it's your health, if it's whatever. You can get so into the presence of God that it just mitigates every other problem that you have. It just stops it in its tracks. Just start praising Him for the good things that He's done. And as you start ministering unto God, I guarantee you, it'll bless Him. He'll bless you back. 
your life will never be the same. 